Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Uh, Christmas has a way of making us repeat ourselves, which is kind of ironic for a holiday that celebrates the thing that changed everything. Uh, But we repeat the same songs year after year after year, even if some of them should not be repeated. Feliz Navidad, don't. Just don't. Just, it's not. Anyway, uh, only time I listen to Wham, and that's one too many. Anyway, um, we, we have our favorite foods. Um, we have our uh, favorite movies. We have our favorite stories to tell, right? Like, hey, Uncle Dave, have you told the story about the time that you crashed into that moose or whatever it is, right? Like, no, Uncle Dave, you got to tell Johnny the story over and over. Uh, we seem to feel a uh, sometimes joyful obligation to meet with these same people year after year uh, and celebrate together. Uh, Christmas, it seems to me, uh, is a, at least the Christmas season as we celebrate it. Christmas seems like a habit of repeating in an effort to recapture something we wish we had. Uh, I want to repeat this, and it's the, the first note in your notes. Um, it, it may sound like a little bit of a downer, but I think this could create a lot of freedom for you in this Christmas season as we talk about this. Christmas seems like a habit of repeating in an effort to recapture something we wish we had. The, I suppose, fancy word for that is nostalgia, or however you correctly pronounce that. Nostalgia is a, is a funny thing. Uh, it's a funny word with, I think, a strange origin. Nostalgia comes from the Greek words for return and pain. So then, according to the British Psychological Society, which is the, I mean, that's a, that's a formal-sounding society, the British Psychological Society, says the literal meaning of nostalgia then, and I'm sure they would say this in British accents and it would sound much cooler, but go with me. The literal meaning of nostalgia then is the suffering evoked by the desire to return to one's place of origin. Nostalgia at Christmas time, it seems, is a desire to return to what we once knew and a sadness in recognizing that that's not actually possible. Uh, but here's the thing about our American Christmas. And if, if you don't feel any nostalgia around Christmas season, uh, then maybe this is why. Uh, but those Courier and Ives prints were never really real. Like they are the Instagram of the 1800s. They're filtered, they're glossy, they're sold for a profit. Like it, it's not actually what it looked like. So many people spend their Christmas season trying to capture the moment. And for most, I think it's not a recapturing of something that they experienced, but a trying to capture something they feel like they're supposed to have, but have never actually lived out. Some, some scene that feels like everybody else must be experiencing this, and I'm not. And their reality has never quite matched the stories or been reflective of the movies. 
Nostalgia is the currency of Christmas time in America. It is a simultaneous feeling of sadness and joy, of missing and finding and hoping that this is finally the year. But finally the year for what? Like finally the year that the family finally gets along? Finally the year for the perfect compliment and sigh at the end of the meal? Finally the year for the perfect love story? What exactly does our nostalgia make us hope for? Christmas is the most backwards-looking event of our time. At no other time of year, no other holiday or celebration, do we culturally spend so much time looking backward at what was. And not just what was like 2,000 years ago because we're celebrating somebody's birthday, but like what was in our life, in our childhood, in our, in our year, in the last 200 years of Western world Christmas celebrations. We look back at traditions, which are sometimes altered, uh, at memories, which are, let's be real, often altered, and stories of what we believe life used to be like in, in simpler times. And in all of this looking back, we forget that the moment we're celebrating is one of the most forward-looking events of all time. People had been looking forward to the coming of this Messiah, this Savior, for centuries. But then also the coming itself promised a hope and a future that humanity hadn't yet realized. Uh, first, the looking forward to it. Uh, this is from the prophet Isaiah in what we now call Isaiah chapter 9. This is centuries and centuries before Jesus. I'll start in verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. No matter how dark your world gets, a light is coming. I want to recognize that your life, for any number of reasons, may feel really dark right now. Maybe it's a family darkness, a health darkness, a social darkness, a spiritual darkness, a financial darkness. There are shadows that feel like they're creeping around the edges of your life, or maybe they're not creeping. They're just overwhelming your heart and mind as you try to figure out what joy is going to look like in this kind of season. If that's you, if, if there are, are shadows sort of around the edges of your life and mindset and heart right now. Where are you going to look for the light this season? Because I think, I think we all will to some degree, even in our darkest moments, we are drawn to trying to find light somewhere. Sometimes it's in really unhealthy choices, but we're just trying to find, maybe the light is going to come in, in numbing out and not feeling it. Where, 
Where are you going to look for light in that darkness? Is it in the hope that all of your family will get along this year? Is it in the fact that the year is almost over and we're going to be able to turn from 23 to 24 or you're going to be able to point to all of the resolutions that you accomplished? Or is it in the singing of familiar songs and watching familiar movies or in countdown candles and other traditions? Will it be in the joy of picking out and giving the perfect gift or in doing that tradition one more time just for old times sake? Where will you look for light? Because any of these things may bring a a sense of of hope, but but for how long? Like our traditions only bring a hope that lasts in so much as they are rooted in something that actually lasts. And Isaiah isn't talking about the light of rituals. He's talking about a person, a person who will create a light that lasts. So continuing in verse three, he says to this person, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Rejoicing, freedom, peace in a way that lasts forever. But before we talk more about the light, this passage invites us to also talk about the darkness. War and plunder, blood-stained uniforms. There are, as we speak, over 30, at least, active conflicts between nations touching every continent in the world except Australia and Antarctica right now. Some of them are escalating. Some of them have been going on at a dull roar for decades. And that number seems like a whole lot to us because we really only talk about the ones that affect our politics or our gas prices, but there are a lot going on in the world. Chances are high, just statistically. It is, it is likelier than not that as we sit here in a warm building celebrating hope, that somewhere in the world, there is somebody in a bloodstained uniform sorting through the rubble or searching through somebody's abandoned house deciding what to plunder. This is humanity without the light of Jesus. The burden of slavery affects more bodies today than at any other time in human history. In 2022 alone, those who are on the know of these things estimate that 115,000 people were sold in one year alone. That doesn't count the thousands upon thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions on top of that, 
who just continue to be human tools for somebody else's work or pleasure. This is who humanity is without the light of Jesus. We are a people walking in darkness. A globally connected people, very proud of all of our ability to connect with one another and reach across cultures and time and space distances. And we are globally destroying each other's dignity and humanity and peace. Some things just seem to stay the same. And yet, Christmas is celebrating a moment from which we are never the same, where everything changes. So yes, in the 2,000 years since, we've invented new ways to kill each other. We've invented new ways to mass produce misinformation and flat out lies. But what if Jesus had never come? I know it's kind of a weird philosophical question, but like, what if Jesus had never come? What if we were still waiting? Or what if there was no waiting to be done? Western culture would have no influence of love your enemies. Before Jesus, the most popular philosophies all taught that bodies were for sex and overpowering someone. Jesus taught that other human bodies should matter to us. That the dignity of the enemy, of a lower class, of women, these things that we take as American ideals were introduced to the world by the God of the Bible and brought home by Jesus. And so as we watch the world turn its back on these values to to try to choose peace by overpowering or, or dignity by dehumanizing somebody else, we're reminded how desperately we need the actual light of Christ and how desperately we need the actual light of Christ in every dark corner of this world, including the shadows of our own hearts. This is the light and the future that the Christmas story promises us Isaiah continues in verse six. These are words that are going to be familiar to many of you. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment or the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. God is passionately committed to peace and to love, to, to active kindness toward our greatest good. And here is where the Christmas story begins to really look forward. It's the story of an everlasting father, a, a ruler whose peaceful reign will never end. And, and these words of Isaiah's are echoed in the Christmas story itself when an angel appears to a virgin teenage girl, 
We read the words in Luke chapter 1. I'll start in verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This is the forward-looking promise of Scripture in Isaiah and in, in Luke, that he will rule forever, and his peace will never end. Christmas looks forward to a day when he will rule forever and his peace will never end. Now look, I am actually a sucker for the nostalgia of Christmas, for the romanticism of it. Not the romantic movie part, the romanticism of the season. Just the, the moments and the stories <laughs> excuse me, that make you take a, a deep breath, which apparently I need to do, uh, and, and just settle in. You know, that, that feeling of of snowfall peace and gentle Christmas lights and the sort of, ah, yeah, settle. I just, I'm a sucker for all of that. And growing up, uh, I, I love the, the sentiment that we, we hoped the Christmas spirit would last all year round. And our society talks a lot about the spirit of Christmas or the hope of Christmas. But, but what, do we, what do we mean by that exactly? Where do our Christmas stories find their hope. Is it in, in everybody getting along? I mean, that, that does sound like peace. Do our Christmas stories find their hope in Miss Big City Lawyer ditching her successful but cold-hearted fiance for Chad, the guy from her high school history class who was really nerdy, but now is a big, strong, tall logger who's still nerdy on the inside and really in touch with his feelings? <laughs> Apparently, yes, that is. <laughs> Go, Chad. Uh, where, where do our stories get there? Is it, is it in this magical feeling uh, from our childhood that we think has escaped us? Where, where are we getting this Christmas hope and where is it leading us? I, I went looking for how people define the hope of Christmas. And man, you Google that, and there's a whole lot of Christians talking about it. That's not what I was looking for. I went digging. I found, this is just one person's perspective. Um, I will, because I'm going to read a quote. These are not my words, but I will warn parents, if there are little ones listening anywhere, just, you may want to cover their ears. Okay, three, two, one. Okay, quote. Santa may not be real, but the love and the spirit of giving are. I choose to play Santa for my family, to help my son know the hope and joy of life, even as I realize he will also feel its pain at some point. In the end, hope and love will win if men and women of goodwill choose to make it so. Uh, this is not any sort of indictment on Santa. Go for it if you want to. I just want to question the last part. In the end, hope and love will win if men and women of goodwill choose to make it so. I mean, that's what all of these hopes have in common, right? All these different types of stories that we tell, that it, it's, 
It's up to us. I, I just went to watch the new Disney movie, uh, Wish, with my family this weekend. Um, if you're into quality movies, it may not be the one for you, but if you're into cute movies, it is fantastic. It's great. If you love Disney movies, you're going to love this one. And the moral of that story is that if we would just all have goodwill and seek peace and we could just be strong enough people and we could do all the right things, then we will all be okay in the end. This is a Christmas story. If, we, if I love well enough, if I find love well enough, if the person I really need to approve of me does, if I can successfully pull off a family gathering where nobody kills each other, then, then there will be hope. If men and women in goodwill could just make peace around the world, stop the wars and the politics and the condemnation, then then there will be hope. Uh, Human beings have been around on this planet for at least 6,000 years. Some scientists say over 100,000 years. How are we doing so far? (laughs) Like, What in those thousands and thousands of years leads us to believe that we are on a trajectory where if we could just goodwill our way into it, we're going to be just fine in the end? And I don't don't mean to be fatalistic about it. I'm I'm just trying to follow the logic. Is it really going to be up to our goodwill and peacemaking? Is, Is that really... And and for the record, we should all be participating in goodwill and peacemaking. All for that. Is humanity's ability to be a united people of goodwill really what we're going to stake our hope in for the future? Is there something more permanent and solid that we could build on? And, by the way, where do we get the idea as a society that we should aim for peace and not for just conquering each other, that there should be able to be communities built on, on love and not just in beating each other up and, and surviving. While those are certainly not unique traits in, in, to Western culture, uh, Western culture got them from Jesus. <laughs> That's where those ideas come from. The great irony of these proclamations in Scripture, particularly around the Christmas story in Luke and other places of of peace on earth, and um, most scholars, by the way, believe they are intentionally ironic in Scripture, these words of the angels, is that Jesus is entering into a people who are under Roman oppression. And at this time of Roman oppression, we know that their big tagline, their big marketing stance was Pax Romana, Roman peace. The peace was their big priority. And they would tell everybody that they came in and conquered and plundered. Don't worry, it's peaceful now. (laughs) And their version of peace did, of course, benefit Roman citizens more than it benefited everybody else. And it protected them, and it preserved their civilized life, and it justified their violence against any sort of uprising. Roman peace. And into that philosophy enters a baby who hasn't conquered anything, 
who hasn't achieved anything on this earth, who hasn't ruled anything on this earth, and he comes promising peace. Not a temporary or a seasonal peace, but a hope for a future and a forever peace. So getting back to our story in the Gospel of Luke, we are going to fast forward over a lot that we will cover at other points in the Christmas season, and we will go from the moment that the angel said, you will have a baby, to after the baby is born. Okay, so the night, night of his birth. I told you, we're fast forwarding over a lot. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. That night, the night of Jesus' birth, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast hope of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds, looked, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Angels promising hope, peace, joy to the world through this baby. Mary pondering all of these things. Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. This is a sort of anxious anticipation. And I don't mean anxious as in anxiety and worry. I mean anxious like a kid on Christmas morning who can't wait to run into the other room and open up the presents. An, an anxiousness for this thing that is going to come that you just know is going to be good. The anxiousness where you just can't see, you just can't wait to see what's going to happen. Mary treasured and cherished these moments. What is happening here? God, what are you doing? Why are these shepherds here? Why did these guys come from a long ways away to visit? Why do we have to move again? Mary cherished these thoughts and thought about them often. There was a sort of, God, I can't wait to see what you're gonna do here kind of anticipation. So a couple of questions for you to ponder as we kick off this Christmas season. As you look at the dark circumstances in your life, uh, as you look at where the light will be coming from, as you walk into this season, maybe bumping up against things that threaten to steal the joy and the hope out from under you, what makes you anxiously anticipate what God is going to do? What gives you hope? What makes you anxiously anticipate what God is going to do? Can, 
Can you find the hope in Jesus to say, God, I can't see very far in this darkness, but I can't wait to see what you are going to do next. And this isn't a naive belief, a naive confidence that our circumstances will work out the way that we want them to. If you read through the Gospels, Mary's life, right? Like sometimes looking back, trying to recapture something that was never really real, that gets very unhealthy and unhelpful. But Mary cherished these things in her heart and then she would pull them out every once in a while and go, oh, right, I remember when God did this thing that didn't make any sense to me, but, but now I get it. Or he'd pull it out and she'd pull it out and go, okay, God, I know you came through in this thing. I have no idea how you're gonna come through in this one, but I'm, because I've seen it, I'm trusting it. This is where looking back can be helpful to see what God has done before so that we can have hope that he will do again. This is the hope of Christmas that there is a Prince of Peace. And so even though I may not see peace at hand, I can't wait to see how he will make it happen. Uh, A hope not found in human success at war or at peace or at freedom, but, but in the God who broke into his own creation like light breaking in to the darkness. So question two, Once you find that hope, how will you demonstrate that hope to the world around you? If you can find that hope, anxiously anticipating what God may do next, how will you demonstrate that hope to the world around you? This is what Christmas lights were originally for, to to mark this belief that there is a light in the darkness, to testify to our hope of the light in the darkness, but I mean, that's the primary reason why I will probably this afternoon be hanging up Christmas lights outside my house for the five people who live on our block. But it's really hard for lights to testify to anything in an era of light shows and really big blow-up things from Home Depot and whatever else. So how will we demonstrate our hope and how do we demonstrate it to those closest to us? It's not gonna be found in showing off how much better our circumstances are with Jesus than than without. Probably because that's not always true and mostly because Jesus never promised that's what people would be looking for anyway. Maybe it will be in how you face the darkness around you. Maybe it'll be in how you refuse to get sucked into the family drama. Maybe it will be in how you continue to give away despite what you don't have. Maybe it will be in your confidence that whoever wins the next election, Jesus wins in the end, and that's the answer that really matters. Because our hope now Just as Isaiah's hope was in a coming savior, our hope is in a coming back savior, a prince of peace whose governments will last forever, whose reign will never end, a a light in our present darkness. 
uh, a hope in our dire circumstances, a God who is today alive and active. And so we anxiously anticipate what he may do next, what he will do in the end. We continue to hope because of the story that God has written, because of the truth we see in Christmas and in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Because God made promises about this Christmas and they came true and he has made promises about what is to come. And we believe that they also will be made true. And in many ways, we are echoing the same prayers that the people were praying leading up to Christmas. We, we are praying for the coming of the Savior. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Now would be good. So let me pray for us as we hope together. God, some of us feel like we are sitting in such privileged light-filled positions, and some of us feel like the darkness could not choke us out anymore. And everywhere in between. God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with the good things you've given us. I can't wait to see how you're going to lead people out of darkness. I can't wait. I, I, don't, I don't want to wait. I'm not feeling very patient. I, I can't wait to see how you are going to write beautiful stories out of some chapters that feel anything but. But this is what you do. You promise us hope and joy and peace, and you fulfill those promises. You are the light in the darkness leading us out, leading us through, journeying with us with whatever is in front of us and surrounding us. And so we trust because we've seen you fulfill your promises and we move forward doing our very best to, to treat our situation, our stories, our experiences like Mary did. To, to cherish what you've done. To continue to question what is going on here anxiously anticipate what you might do next. Father, would you stir hope in us? And would you make it obvious to us how we can demonstrate that hope to the people we love and that you love even more? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.